You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Hi, folks. We're in Philippians chapter 3, so if you would turn there, please, in your Bible. I moved this forward a bit because... When the light hits this, it puts the Bible in the shadows, and I can't read it that well. You ever notice that the older you get, um, all of a sudden the Bibles you need are not just large print, but giant print, and then pretty soon it's, that's why they have those big pulpit Bibles, you know, because uh, those old vicars can't, uh, can't see very well. So anyway, we're in Philippians. Chapter 3. Let's stand as we read our section for today, which is Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss. Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Father in heaven, we're asking that the Holy Spirit would breathe upon this section of scripture, that he would search our hearts, that he would bring us closer to our Lord Jesus. Bring to our minds, Lord, the things that are so important. Father God, you know us more than anybody else does. You know where we've been, you know what we're going through right now, and you know what's ahead. And so we're asking that we would hear your voice this morning through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, in chapter 3, we see four main sections. We covered uh, the first section last week, which is verses 1 to 6. And now verses 7 through 11, very, very deep personal revelation of Paul the Apostle's fellowship with God. Remember, he is in jail when he's writing this. 
Paul would have rather been on the road going and ministering to different churches, starting churches, encouraging other groups of believers, because that's what he did. That's he was an apostle to the Gentiles. And yet now he's stuck. Not only was he two years in Rome, but previously he was two years in Caesarea. So it was four years out of his active, busy life serving the Lord, and now all of a sudden he's, he's in a place of restriction. But it was in that place of restriction where the Lord met him. And not only so, the Lord used him in a way that maybe he was too busy to be used before. We can read the epistles called the prison epistles, of which Philippians is one of those. We have Ephesians, a prison epistle. We have Colossians, a prison epistle. We have Philemon, a prison epistle. We have Philippians, a prison epistle. And then also, that very last epistle, 2 Timothy, he was in prison there as well. But there's so much richness that comes out of them. And when we look at our Bibles, we think, well, here's these chapters and verses. These are thoughts of the Apostle Paul. But we need to understand chapters were included in the 13th century. They weren't there before. It'd be like if you wrote a letter, a long letter, to someone you really cared about. Let's say you didn't use paragraphs, but you just kept going. That's kind of how it was in the Greek, because it was all written in Greek. And then the verses were added in the 16th century. And sometimes as you're going through here, I know that some of your Bibles have natural uh, paragraph divisions and titles, but sometimes in studying the scriptures, you just need to look at it as one verse after one verse after one verse after one verse and one flowing thought. And so here in chapter 3, Paul is opening up the curtain to his personal um, relationship with Jesus in a very intimate way, as we'll see in this section. The third section, of course, is... Um, Verses 12 to 16, and the fourth section of chapter 3 um, will be um, verses 17 to 21. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take verses 7 through 11, and I want to split it into two parts. Uh, the first part is verses 7 and 8. I want to call it the gain of Christ. And the second section, verses 9 through 11, the goals in Christ. And we can say his gain of Christ and his goals in Christ. And it's one of a, uh, the most intimate pictures of the Apostles Paul, uh, Paul's relationship with Jesus. And as we read this, yes, he's sharing it with the Philippians because they're so close to his heart. But also it's a reminder that God desires us to press into him and not be satisfied just with where we've come so far. And we can do that. We can become complacent. We think, well, I've paid my dues. I've been walking with the Lord now 20 years, 30 years. And by the way, 30 years is roughly the amount of time that Paul the Apostle was walking in Jesus when he wrote this, 30 years. 
But here's the deal. Don't stop. You know, the Ephesian church in the book of, in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, they were so careful to try to exact everything according to the right doctrine that they left their first love. You can get so wrapped up in the form of religion because it has its own sense of security. You can get so wrapped up in the form of religion that you miss, you miss the relationship. And I think we can relate to that, those of us who are married. When you're, <laughs> you just think about it. When you first met your girlfriend or your boyfriend, it was just so enchanting. They were just so, so different, so unique, and, and there was such chemistry, and, and, and you just had the warm fuzzies all, all over, you know? And then as you got to know them, then all of those enchanting aspects become kind of just unusual. You know, from enchantment to unusual. And then after you're married a while, from unusual, it goes annoying. And then after annoying, it's like, it drives me crazy. But it was the same thing. But you gotta, your, your focus has to be on the whole package and not just upon your particular chemistry reaction in, in, in your first meetings. In the relationship with the Lord, we need to go deeper because we, can out, we cannot outplumb who he is. His life goes so much farther and deeper than we can ever imagine, but we have to not fall into complacency in our time with Jesus. And Paul is going to uh, exhort us through his uh, writing here. So let's take a look at verse 7, the gain of Christ, verses 7 and 8. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I've ha I have counted loss for Christ. What were those things he's talking about? It's the first, uh, what you find there in verses 5 and 6. Things that he trusted in, things that he personally counted on to be approved of God. Things in his life, his credentials, so to speak. And it also included not just these seven things in those verses, it included all that they brought to him. Because there's this pride and there's this esteem and all those things that uh, brought him into a high regard amongst his peers. Uh, and all the future advantages that those things would bring to him. I know there is a, a, a great resource called Weast Word Studies, and here's what he includes in his commentary on this section. Paul was a citizen of Tarsus. At the time he lived there, only families of wealth and reputation were allowed to retain their Tarsian citizenship. This throws a flood of light upon Paul's early life. He was born into a home of wealth and culture. His family were wealthy Jews living in one of the most progressive of Oriental cities. All this Paul left to become a poor itinerant missionary. Sometimes we think, well, this is just the way Paul always was. But we forget when he says, 
what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. You might say he sold all that he had to buy the treasure in the field using that parable and making it apply to his life. You know, in the natural sense, it'd be like a, a millionaire who gets rid of all of his wealth and all of the connections to join the Peace Corps for the rest of his life. It's a volunteer organization. Um, yet, there's certain honor that's given to people working in the Peace Corps today. Yet, to leave all behind for the sake of Christ is viewed by the world as weakness and viewed by religious Jews as blasphemy because they didn't believe that Jesus was their Messiah. And so Paul, even as he's writing this letter, was embracing the reproach as a heretic in the eyes of his former colleagues and those he used to hold in honor. So when it says here, these, the things that were gained to me, these I, I have counted loss for Christ. To, to let go of everything that you trusted in that brought you honor and esteem amongst your peers just to hang on to Jesus no matter the cost. These I have counted lost for Christ. And, and notice the past tense of the verb. I have counted is in the perfect tense in the Greek which speaks of a process completed in past time having present results. It was a personal decision that was affecting the rest of his life. He crossed the line and that line was death to all that he was or all that he ever would be of those seven things. No, no man talked him into it. Those of you who are believers here, you remember that point when you were brought to the place of surrender and giving your life to Christ, putting your trust on him. And by the way, it was only like a moment ago. Even though for me it was 54 years ago, it was but a moment ago. And it's interesting, when you read through the Old Testament, you see how God talks to Israel as if they had just left Egypt even though hundreds and hundreds of years had gone by. And they were never to forget from where they came. And the same is true for you and I. Those of you who are believers here this morning, we're never to forget from where we came. But God doesn't identify us now from the old life. But he doesn't want us to forget from where we came. Because that's part of the being humble. That's, that's part of saying, if it weren't for you, I'd be lost for eternity. I have nothing to offer to you. It was a personal decision by faith made by Saul of Tarsus there on that road to Damascus, as we read in the book of Acts. The Spirit of God brought him to that place of brokenness and opened his eyes to see his own wretchedness before Messiah Jesus. And in a sense, he died. He physically, as if you would physically die, and that no longer applies, figuratively, he died in Christ. And the same is true for you and me.
We've died to that old life. God counts us as a brand new creation. Not a resuscitation, but something different, something, a transformation, a a new creation. Verse 8 goes on. Paul says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Yet indeed are two Greek words that are difficult to translate in the English. And this is kind of a uh, yet indeed um, is uh, our attempt to try to catch the heart. But the Greek translation of the term is yes, indeed, therefore, at least even. It includes all those words, which is awkward in the English translation. I am still setting all things down. I count them to be a loss. So before, I have counted all things lost for Christ. That's past tense. Now he says, I'm living in that. It's present tense. It's everyday tense. I also count, not just back in the past, but now every single day, I count all things. And if you want to do a great devotional, And if you have that capability in your app or if you have a strong concordance, I mean, what's that? That's a big, huge thing that uh, some people have it, some people don't. You can get everything online now. But search out the phrase, all things. It is amazing, especially in the New Testament. All things. It's a great devotional study. You can print it out and use up about a half a ream of paper. Okay. I count, it's present tense, showing continuous action in present time. From that time forward, that same mindset. So what was the reason for that I count all things lost? For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. The word excellence means it excels everything that exists. This is Paul's mind, Paul's heart. I have let go of absolutely everything of my past life because there's something even more excellent than that. And it's the excellence of the knowledge. Now, this isn't just head knowledge. The word knowledge is gnosis or gnosko in the Greek, and it means knowledge gained by personal experience. You see, it's not just a study of religion. It's personally meeting the Lord Jesus Christ and having an intimate relationship with him by the Spirit. I grew up in the Methodist church. I was down in the basement, Sunday school, flannel graphs, lady banging on the piano, flip charts, all the rest, all the nice stories. Be a good little boy like Jesus was, was the message. I had no idea about repentance from sin. I had no idea about trusting Christ for my salvation. And, and when I was 18... I was brought to that place by the Holy Spirit through some uh, zealous believers 
and I repented of my sin and I invited Christ to make his home in my life. I believed on him and everything started changing and I entered into a personal experience of who Jesus was. We can study the Apostle Paul and we can know all about him but that's not like having Timothy come up here and say, tell us what you know about the Apostle Paul, because he knew him. I can study George Washington, but I never knew him. I don't have any personal experience with George. But as Christians, we can have the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Personal experience. That's called relationship. And notice that he calls him my Lord. You know, we call the Lord Jesus my Lord, uh, Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not as, it's his title, but it's not part of his, his formal name. It's supposed to uh, imply a position between you and your Lord. We don't have lords and serfs anymore. But back in the Middle Ages, the word Lord meant something very, very significant. Um, I looked this up, and in the Middle Ages, a Lord held significant responsibilities within their domain. Some of their key duties included protection, justice, land management, feudal obligations, patronage, and representation. When you were under a Lord, he was the one that you submitted to in everything of your life, and he gave you protection. He gave you justice. He took care of your lands. He took care of all the obligations. He represented you. Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people thank the Lord Jesus for being Savior, but they really haven't put themselves in a position of complete submission to him as Lord. Rule my whole life. Don't just come and bless my life. Rule my life. There's a difference. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. Paul says there in verse 8, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. Sounds like he's English. <laughs> this was not only a personal faith decision on Paul's part, but a reality that he ended up experiencing because of that decision. 
I decided to count all things lost for Jesus. And I still count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And I am living the repercussion of that. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. But he says, you know what? I count them as rubbish. And by the way, rubbish doesn't just mean trash. Rubbish in the Greek is a, a Greek word, skubalon. Everybody say that, skubalon. Come on, say it again, skubalon. You know what that means in the Greek? It means animal poo. The excrement of animals. Wow, Paul. Thank you for that. In other words, he was taking all things from his former supposed advantages that he'd previously trusted in and put them in a toilet and flushed them away for good. Nothing redeemable. I remember um, our basset hound in, um, in, in the UK. Um, when she was uh, a puppy, she would like jump on the bed and we'd have to try to train her to don't do that. And so we had, we had like uh, 50 pounds um, of notes, like uh, 220s and a 10 um, on the bed. And she jumped on the bed and she ate it. She ate 50 pounds, which equ equals to about 65 bucks. And I'm thinking, I'm not digging through the stuff to get that money. <laughs> There's just no way. I mean, it's defiled. It's gone. You know, I don't care. I'll, I'll, I'll pay the $65. I won't touch it. I'm sure it eventually came through her, but I didn't want to search it up. I counted it as scubalon. <laughs> Nothing redeemable before God. What did we used to count as supposedly advantageous before God before we trusted Christ? Was it our, our, our moral uh, life? We never shot anybody, you know? We never stole that anybody found out about? What did we count on? Paul says it doesn't matter. It's all rubbish. It's all rubbish. I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ that I may gain him. Sometimes we are so caught up in this life, we're looking at so many things to gain. And we forget that because he's our Lord, we have everything we need in him. He will make sure we have whatever we will need at that moment, starting with his grace. Because he told the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is brought to completion in weakness. It starts with the grace of God. And then secondly, the Lord promises to meet the need at the time his way, not necessarily the want, but the need. And if he didn't meet the need and you lose it, then the Lord will take care of it. 
He's not obligated to keep up your net worth. It's him that's the worth. Uh, So many believers have given up their life to follow Christ. And even today, this very moment, they're suffering, being tortured in prison for Christ. Just for Christ. They don't have all those things. They, They barely have any food. They're emaciated for Christ. We just lose perspective so quickly because we look all around us and think that's the standard. Paul's talked to us about the gain of Christ. And now he's going to talk about his goals. Yes, he's, he's thrown everything away because Jesus is more excellent than anything else. He is my Lord. He takes care of me. But verses 9 through 11, these are the goals in Christ. And there are four of them. First of, the first one, I want to be found in him. I want to be literally discovered by others as being in Christ. I want my life to communicate to others what it's all about following Jesus. My testimony. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means that this is what it looks like for a saved sinner to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And that includes repenting when you've sinned. That includes humbling yourself, admitting when you're wrong, or actually blessing those who curse you, doing good to those who do evil to you, praying for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Because that's what Jesus said you need to do to follow him. That's part of your witness, to be found in him. That was Paul's first goal. He's in prison. And when you read the first chapter of Philippians, he says, hey, don't be sorry for me here. God is using me in here. That's a matter of changed perspective. How often we look at our circumstances as dictating whether God still loves us or he's mad at us. And that's, that's not the case. Paul says, you know what? God has taken this and turned it around for such good. And so some of you are in a life situation right now you don't like. You feel stuck. It's not what you have signed up for. But yeah, you did. When you accepted Jesus, I mean, read the small print. You signed up for this. Lord, anytime, any place, anyhow, anywhere, I just want to serve you. Thank you for saving my life for eternity. You signed the paper. And the small print is God determines the outcome. I think I shared this in an earlier message, but um, I got in trouble last year. Because in, in the midst of a message I was teaching, I started complaining about my age. And um, the next day, on my walk around the neighborhood, the Lord was, was saying, um, you know what, Bob? It's, it's none of your business how old you are. It's my business. Um, if I want you to live to 105, it's none of your business. It's my business. If I want to take you tomorrow, it's my business. It's not your business. So you just keep your eyes on me and stop complaining about your age. 
I mean, what can I say? Checkmate. Game's over. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I mean, he had me. Um, because we can just uh, whine and complain about a lot of things, can't we? And the older we get, um, the more pains and strange things happen to you. And your mind says, I'm only 45. And your body says, no way. So, I want to be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is a gift from God by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he, God, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the great switcheroo. My life in Christ is to reflect to the world what it means to be a disciple. Sinless? No. Grace, forgiven, being worked on. But by the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in me and through me, I exhibit to this dark world the light of the Father and the Son. Because think again on Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Holy Spirit working in the life of the believer. This is what comes out to the world. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, God's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who wouldn't want that? And that's what the Holy Spirit is continuously doing in our heart in our, to change our character, to, to reflect to the world what God is like. The second goal is verse 10, that I may know him. And again, the word know is that experiential knowledge, to know in an experiential way. Because if you don't know Jesus in an experiential way, you're not going to be led into heaven. What? You can't say that, Pastor Bob. That's pretty bold. That's pretty restrictive. Well, I'm just saying what Jesus said. In Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders or miracles in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. And it's the same Greek word in an experiential way. Not in a, I, I know about you, I've read your bio. No, you know him personally. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, because you're going about to do things your way instead of God's way. I want to be found in him, number one. Number two, I want to know him. 
And that's a continuous thing for the rest of his life. And it should be what we want as a goal as well. I want to know you more. I mean, we sang the, the, the chorus here. I want to know you deeper. Draw me close to you. Number three, his third goal, to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. What a fascinating thing to have as a goal. And the word power there means dunamis, which is that same Greek word when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples there in Acts chapter 2. I want to know experientially what that power is like. Now, in our mind, we think, what's that look like? You know, all of a sudden, are we going to go, oh, oh, I feel the power of God. I'm going to jump. I mean, I've heard such crazy stories like the proof of the power of God. One guy said, you know, during that prayer meeting, that one brother was so filled with the Spirit, he walked on top of the folding chairs and they didn't even collapse, the whole room. It's like, are you kidding me? Do you think that's what the Apostle Paul's goal was? Oh, I just want to, I mean, come on. I mean, put on your, your thinking cap a bit. Paul says, I want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. I want that to be in my life. I want to experience that. You know what that brings to him? That brings him something that's life-giving. His spirit brings a sense of power and assurance and confidence and life. I want to know that life that, it, that causes me to soar above the challenges, the difficulties, the impossibilities, the persecutions, and the afflictions. I want to know that power, the same power that rose Christ from the dead and transformed him into a glorious body. I want to know that power. This is an intimate look at Paul's desire. And the fourth goal is, I want to also know the fellowship of his sufferings. Wow. A deep insight from the apostle. Paul was so impacted by what Jesus had suffered for him he desired to share with him in those same sufferings and reproaches. We have such a soft life in the Western culture. Everything has to go through the gates of comfort and convenience. And I don't want to suffer. I mean, it's not wrong to say, God, would you bring healing? God, would you protect me? but yet to, be, to understand what he's done for us, what he suffered for us. And that's what you remember when you take communion. And the fact that he won. The game is over. He won. He was resurrected. I remember what he's done on the cross by um, his broken body and his shed blood, but he rose from the dead. That's my hope, the resurrection. That's my proof. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, Therefore, Paul says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, 
in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When you sense your own weakness, when you sense that you could sabotage it in a heartbeat, if it weren't for the grace of God and the mercy of God, that's when you start becoming strong in the Lord because it's reliance upon who he is. And he goes on there in verse 10, being conformed to his death. And the Amplified Bible uh, in verse 10 puts it this way, that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. There's something called brokenness that can happen in our life and does happen where everything we thought was reasonable all of a sudden collapses and the whole bottom drops out and our knees buckle and we're broken, broken in spirit. It's at those times of brokenness that the Lord meets us and he shows us that he is stronger and, more com in, and brings more comfort that that brokenness, Psalm 147 says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And sometimes we're in a place being so wounded, we just think we'll never be healed. But he binds up the wounds because he cares. And it's in the brokenness that we find something about him that we could never have found before. And then finally in verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, whatever it takes, I want to finish well. I want to make that resurrection. Remember that Paul was writing this letter toward the latter years of his life and he wanted to finish well. Every day you're to finish well. Every week, you're to finish well. Every year, you're to finish well in Jesus. And at the end of your life, you want to finish well. Even if you backslide and then you come back, you're on the progress of finishing well. Yeah, you took off for a while. But in the parable of the prodigal son, how did the father deal with the son who was wayward when he chose to come back? He ran out to meet him and to greet him and to bless him. Some of you backslid for a while, maybe. But guess what? You're back on track and the Lord doesn't look at you as a second-class citizen. He looks at you through his love and so appreciates you and he sees you as his workmanship. Never think that you or I have plumbed the depths of our relationship with Jesus. That's what we gain from this whole thing, counting all things lost for Christ. Because if you're trying to hold two things, Jesus said no man can serve two masters. He either, he either will cling to the one and hate the other or love one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and the things of this world. So this is a, a deep exhortation to all of us as we plumb the depths of this 
very, very intimate and important letter. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this insight from the Apostle Paul. We thank you how the Holy Spirit moved upon the Apostle to jot these things down, maybe through Timothy or Epaphroditus. But we're stirred, Lord, we're exhorted to press deeper and not be complacent. We're asking God for a move of the Holy Spirit on all of our lives to not be satisfied with the status quo, but that you would speak to us, Lord. Is there anything that is getting in the way between us and you in a deeper fellowship? Lord, what new disciplines might I start bringing into my life that I might know you deeper? And I thank you, Lord, you never give up on us. And as we close here, if there are any that have not yet surrendered their life to Jesus Christ and made him your Savior and Lord, you need to do it because you'll never experience what this is talking about. But God wants you to experience it. God sent his son so that you could know him and know God the Father personally, experientially. And this is you. If this is you this morning, take it. Ask God for the faith by which to believe. Yes, you've got tons of questions. He'll take care of those questions but you've got to meet him first. And how do you do that? You come to God honestly and you say, God, I am a sinner. My sin separates me from you. You have sent Jesus to bear my sin so I could be forgiven and brought into your family. So I ask you to forgive me of the sin of my life. I put my, my whole trust upon Jesus. He takes my whole sin and I take his whole righteousness on me. Move into my life and make your home in my life. I believe in Jesus as the Son of God. I believe he died for my sins I believe he rose again from the dead to prove you accepted that. So God, I'm yours now. Adopt me into your family and may I begin to experience what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Father in heaven, thank you for our text today. We leave the rest up to you. In Jesus' name. has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. 
We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.